Hello, this is State Centric. I'm here with Megs. Hello. Dan Puff. Hi. And will we die just a little? Hi. Welcome to our holiday episode. <laughs> so, jingle jingle. I know, I was just gonna, yeah. <laughs> jingle jingle. I, I've got some sleigh bells that I'm gonna put on, but yeah. Oh, nice. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna list to some fix and then discuss them. And we are starting with All I Want for Christmas by Dreary Quite Contrary, Green Meg Snowham. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Brian Wilfrick Percival. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I changed usernames like halfway through my whatever life and I'm like, I might as well keep that sued with whatever ones I made before. So I like both of those names. They're both really good names. I do too. I mean, (laughs) I loved it. I mean, initially it was perfect because, I mean, obviously when I started, it was like dreary exclusive and now it makes no sense. I was like, why would I have that name when I write the most ridiculous pairings now? So (laughs) here we are. But yes, they're both are very close to my heart for sure. So uh, let's have a listen. All right. Okay, so (laughs) I think I read through this last week, and I think this is one of my first fic ever. So be kind. No, No, it's I I mean, it's cute. It's good. I, I love this one. Okay. All I want for Christmas rated T for teen. Summary. Growing up with the Dursleys, Harry never had the chance to experience all the Christmas season had to offer. It is never too late to create new memories with those we hold dear. Potter, what are you doing here? The black-haired boy strode casually into the office of the potions master. The long-haired man did not raise his head as he continued scribbling furiously on a piece of parchment. It's been a while, said Harry, smirking. You've just had a defense class this past Wednesday. I hardly consider two days a while. Harry leaned over the desk, resting his hands on the smooth oak surface. You know what I meant. Severus's hand paused. He did know, but he'd be damned if he acknowledged it. It had been a mistake. The first time. The second time. The third. Fuck, he'd lost count. This is why it had to stop. If you do not have a question regarding your end-of-term essay, then I must ask that you leave. I am quite busy. Are you going to Hogsmeade tomorrow? Severus closed his eyes, releasing a frustrated sigh. As it happens, I have been selected to chaperone. A complete waste of a Saturday, he thought, grimacing. It's the last Hogsmeade weekend before the holidays. I'd like to spend it with you. Severus could see it. Harry, red-nosed and rosy-cheeked, his lips chapped with cold white snowflakes dusting his dark hair and lashes, and Severus lifting his warm hand to cup the boy's cold cheek. No, said Severus sharply. As I've said, I'm otherwise engaged. Harry gave him an amused smile, that smile he saved only for him. I may have already requested your services for tomorrow. Flitwick will go in your place. Severus's blood ran cold. How dare you interfere with my... Harry laughed. Let me clarify that all I asked for was an escort. I did not specify who. It was all Dumbledore. Though there was an impish gleam in his eyes. Severus hissed. That man. Always sending him into the most dangerous situations, even if the danger was himself. And what, pray tell, is this task you've thrown upon me? 
Could it have something to do with those meetings with Dumbledore? Has he trusted Severus enough to let him in on their plans? Whatever it was, he would protect Harry at all costs. He would always protect Harry. You'll see. Dress warm, Professor, said Harry with a wink. He turned, and with a casual wave over his shoulder, he walked out the door. Oh no, Severus refused to walk into this blindly. Shoving his chair violently as he stood, he yelled after the boy, Potter, come back here! But Harry was gone. Passage of Time Severus stood awkwardly in the courtyard. All the students had already made their way to Hogsmeade, and Harry was nowhere to be found. Just as he was about to resign indoors, after nearly freezing off every appendage he possessed, Harry emerged from the large oak doors and jogged toward Severus. Wrapped in his thick Gryffindor scarf of red and gold, Harry looked as inconspicuous as Peeves tap-dancing on your head. This could not be a stealth mission. Panting, Harry's breath puffed in swirling clouds, tickling Severus's nose. Close. He was too close. Severus took a step back. Now will you tell me what madness you'll be dragging me into this afternoon? Harry's eyes twinkled as he smiled up at him. I'm taking you out. Harry grabbed Severus's hand. On a date. Ripping his hand away, Severus urgently searched their surroundings. Are you insane? He hissed through clenched teeth, eyes flaming. Someone could have seen. Apologies, sir, Harry drawled. I assure you it won't happen again. In fact, I don't intend anyone to see us at all. Pulled from his pocket, Harry held a shimmering cloak. He tossed it over them. Now then, shall we? said Harry, smiling and holding out his mittened hand. Severus rolled his eyes and reluctantly grasped his outstretched hand. Harry's smile turned devious. Don't you dare snitch on me. Severus felt the tug as Harry pulled them into darkness. They landed in the middle of a crowded muggle street. Once Severus recovered from the initial shock of an unexpected apparition, he glared at Harry. You're not of age. Do you want to be expelled? Harry ignored his words and ushered them into the nearby alley. After removing the cloak from around them, Harry's hand clasped to his mouth, stifling a laugh. What? spat Severus. He had already had enough of this foolish behavior. Your hair, chuckled Harry, as he pocketed the, his cloak and removed a mitten. Using his fingers, he combed Severus's hair. Severus held his breath as the tingling awareness of Harry's touch trickled through his body. Merlin, help him. That's enough, he hissed, knocking Harry's hand away and smoothing his hair. It's fine. Annoyed, he glared at the boy before turning his gaze upon the bustling muggles, bundled in odd coats and hats, carrying large parcels and bags. Where are we? asked Severus. Come on, I'll show you. Smirking, Harry grabbed Severus's arm, dragging him back into the street. It looked like Hogsmeade, if Hogsmeade was a bit more clean and ordinary. Christmas wreaths and garlands hung upon each storefront, wrapped in colorful electric lights. Red bows and ribbons wrapped the lampposts like cylindrical Christmas presents. Snow covered the ground and rooftops, sparkling with hues of pinks and oranges in the afternoon setting sun. It was breathtaking. Harry tugged on Severus's sleeve and pointed down the lane in the direction that most of the surrounding muggles were headed. What had to have been a large city park was now strewn with tiny little shacks de decorated with lights and bows of pine and fir. It was a muggle Christmas market. Severus was transported into memories of his childhood, the few happy memories he ever shared with his father. Why have you brought me here, Harry? Harry's eyes widened, sparkling as his grin broadened 
at the sound of his given name. Well, it's Christmas time, isn't it? I hadn't noticed, said Severus flatly. My aunt and uncle used to take my cousin here every year. I was never allowed to go, so I figured, why not now? Severus's heart tightened at the mention of the Dursleys, Petunia and her good-for-nothing husband and their disgusting lump of a son. He would murder them in their beds if they weren't the key to Harry's safety. Severus forced a softened expression. With me. With you. Severus let slip a tiny smirk. Very well. Lead the way, he said, gesturing his hand toward the market. Harry linked his arm through Severus's and pulled him down the lane. Severus looked at nearby muggles but no one seemed to pay them any mind. As they walked through the market, Severus couldn't help but let his smile break free at the excitement and urgency escaping Harry at the sight of, well, everything. Harry hovered at the stand of a woman selling hand-carved nutcrackers, collections of hand-painted glass ornaments, knitted wool mittens, and scarves of all colors and patterns. Harry pointed out a particularly bulky forest green scarf knitted with thick yarn covered in silver snowflakes. The way it shimmered makes Severus pause. Could these really be creations by a mere muggle? Excuse me, how much for the scarf? Harry asked the older woman. Twenty-eight pounds, my dear, she said, smiling at him. To Severus's surprise, Harry pulled out a fifty-pound note and handed it to the woman. She gave him his change and turned to wrap the scarf for him. No, thank you, madam. I'll take it as is. Of course, dear, she smiled and held out the scarf. Harry took it, giving a slight bow and thanks. He turned towards Severus and wrapped it around the man's neck. Severus stared at the boy in shock, then down at the scarf. Green and silver, for Slytherin. Thought you might like it. You looked rather cold. Severus raised a hand, grasping the end of the scarf, and admired the intricately woven patterns. He absolutely loved it. Indeed, he said, nearly breathless. Merry Christmas, Sev. Severus's eyes found Harry's. It was exactly as he had pictured, Harry smiling up at him, snowflakes dusting his hair. His ears, nose, and cheeks were pink and chapped from the cold. How could he ever deny this boy anything in this, on this bloody earth? Severus raised his gloved hand to cover Harry's cheek. You're one to talk. You're positively frozen. Harry leaned his face into his palm. Then maybe you should warm me up. Mischief flickered in his eyes. Severus cleared his throat. Let's find something warm to eat, then. Ah, yes, over here. After a large glass of hot cider and some steaming candied nuts, Harry seemed perfectly content as they walked the remainder of the market. Hey, look, this one looks like Dumbledore, laughed Harry, pointing at an ornament of St. Nicholas. Upon further inspection, it did look eerily like Albus, half-moon spectacles and all. Then it winked. Severus jumped back, gaining his composure, but, but put a hand on Harry's back to usher him along. No, I don't quite think so. What's this up here? If Albus was watching, he'd had to be careful. Distance. Keep a respectful distance. He remained a few paces behind Harry until the boy turned around, his brows furrowed in confusion. What's wrong? Harry asked. I think it's time to leave. But they haven't lit the Christmas tree yet. It should be any minute now. To Severus's continued horror, Harry grasped his hand, leading him in the direction of the Christmas tree at the center of the park. It towered over them, covered in large, colorful ornaments of all shapes and sizes. Families began to gather around them, children laughing and gazing upon the giant tree in awe. Harry let go of my hand. Why? asked Harry defiantly. 
You know why. Fine, then. To Severus's relief, Harry dropped his hand, but immediately wrapped his arm around Severus's waist, pulling him close, throwing the cloak over their heads. A few surrounding muggles looked slightly stunned, but looked down at their mulled mead, appearing to accept intoxication for the blame of such an odd disappearance. <laughs> Harry, what do you think you're- Shh, look, hushed Harry, turning toward the Christmas tree. Suddenly, there was music all around them. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know. Colorful lights flickered before them, spiraling up in thick bows, showering them in dancing rainbow light. Severus looked down at Harry's enamored face, lit up with soft yellows, reds, greens, and blues. Harry's eyes welled with tears. Severus couldn't help it. He removed his glove, gloves before pulling Harry in tighter, resting a hand on the crown of his head as he caressed the wild tresses. Harry looked up at him in those sparkling emerald green eyes that he loved so dearly, and Severus was truly bare before him. He was nothing, nothing if it weren't for this boy, his savior. Severus grazed a long slender finger against Harry's cheek, wiping away a single tear. I hope you will experience everything you have ever dreamed of, Harry. If that's true, then there's one more thing I'd like to do. What is it? Harry tugged on Severus's new scarf, bringing his face down to meet Harry's. Their lips touch. This time, Severus did not pull away. His arms tightened around Harry as their kiss deepened. He was absolutely mad and he knew it. Damned it all if he allowed this, whatever this was, to slip from his fingers. Severus broke the kiss first, and Harry's eyes filled with fear. But he looked at the raven-haired boy and smiled. A smile filled with all the emotion he had bottled up over the past months. He kissed Harry's scar, and the boy shivered. Merry Christmas, Harry. Severus grasped Harry's hand, and they twisted into darkness once more. The end. <laughs> Yay! Very good. <laughs> Thank I you. Love, I love that one, Legs. It's I, it's cute. Rereading it, I'm like, oh, this was this was fun. It's this was for a holiday cool. exchange. I'm like, oh, this is just a cute little fluffy, you know, something. So. It was yeah. so fluffy. <laughs> it was. I was trying not to talk because I kind of wanted to like squeal, like whenever yeah. Harry was yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> taking you on a date. I was like, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, classic. You know, Severus. Like, no, I can't do this. This is, you know, I have to fight everything. And Harry just being the little, you know, little shit that he is, and completely just. <laughs> Gotta love him for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I like your singing too, by the way. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I was kind yeah, of very good. I was like, wait a minute, I forgot there was music in this. Oh, I think I said that when, um, yeah, because Dan Puff was like, oh, I think I have song in mind. I can't sing this or whatever. And yeah, classic Christmas. My plan was to like do that like half talk, half singing, and I just ended up singing and it was like, well, here we go. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> Committed now. Yeah. You did a good job. But your singing was lovely. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure I wrote this shortly after having gone to a Christmas market because we go every year to a little German market in my grandparents' town. So we actually just went over Thanksgiving. And so I think it was just one of those, it's like a magical experience that I've just pictured. I'm like, of course, this would be something that the Dursleys would go to and Harry wouldn't be able to. And it would be something that he always wanted to do. And I just 
thought it was cute. And so the picture, like, it's just a, a like a beautiful scene. And I just, I just think it's so, so cute. I, it's very fluffy. Most of my other stuff is not fluffy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we like it when Snape has some good things, though. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He deserves it. They both he do. Does. They do. Yeah. But you described the Christmas market very well. I could basically see it. And we have oh, them thanks. here in Germany every year. So, Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> they are so lovely. Beeplebane <laughs> has written a very good holiday story, but it's not fluffy. It's... <laughs> it's... You know what? Holidays are a lot of things, so... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it, this appeals to my inner Grinch. That's mm, all I can say. Mm -hmm. so, anyway, without further ado, The Man Who Stole Christmas by Evil Bean. <laughs> read by myself, not very well. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's great. Oh, it's hard. The Man Who Stole Christmas by Evil Bean. Rated G for general. The Man Who Stole Christmas by Evil Bean Alone in the darkness of his usurped headmaster office, Severus Snape was looking at the door with a rare expression on his face, stunned. Pain was radiating from the bitter lines at the corners of his mouth, a strange sort of transparency that never showed itself in public. Why was this particular instance of unpleasantness getting to him that much? Minerva McGonagall had just slammed a heavy door of his office in his metaphorical face, nearly caricatural in all her Gryffindor rightful anger. Snape stayed frozen on the spot despite the passing of time, submerged by a wave of forbidden emotions. It took him several minutes to begin to move, suddenly gulping for air as if he was just out of a bout of apnea. Once his breathing had settled a little, he slowly gripped his head with both hands, letting it fall in defeat. That's when he felt his whole body starting to shake, slowly becoming the unwilling participant of eerily silent sobs that were taking his breath away again. It was as if their silence, their resistance to the act of getting out of him, were making them even more deep, even more painful and brutal on his body and soul. He sighed. It was wrecking him, destroying what was left of his strength, and yet he knew it used to make him happy in the past. He was willing to admit that he enjoyed it a great lot, even. It was the shape of his spirit, his own distorted sacred fire. Being mean. Being nasty. Being feared. It had been his bitter personal joy in a sea of disappointments, and he had treasured that power with all his impressive potential for devotion. And he was still doing it through the darkness he now lived in, like a corpse that could not let go of the thing it had been clinging to when it was still alive. Since his looks were so insulting to the world, since he never could entirely conceal that sick air about him, sallow face and greasy hair as only ambassadors, since he was born ugly and knowing it, in short, he made the early choice of using hatred as a deflective weapon, instead of accepting the role of passive target, not willing to accept all the daggers thrown at him because of his unfortunate existence. He always fought back. His ugliness, inside and out, had always inspired at best contempt and indifference, at worst hatred. He had had to take more than his lot of indifference, thank you very much. He would choose hatred every fucking day. It was a nasty piece of work, after all. Everyone agreed on that, himself included. Indifference was a slithery thing, cold and slippery, a giant eraser that made you less than a louse, an insignificant parasite. Severus Snape would never choose to go quietly in cold indifference. 
when there was the burning fires of hatred available instead. Hatred could burn you, consume you, make you scream in a whirlwind of pain and bitterness, but indifference made you disappear into nothingness, like you weren't even there in the first place. He would never make the world happy by disappearing in silence. It was not his style at all. He had always been a screamer, after all. The burning pyre of hatred would always outshine the freezing echoes of contemptible indifference. In addition to his natural inclinations, he had to admit to himself that hatred was also the only thing that remained. It was keeping him somewhat alive at this point, making him into a grotesque scarecrow made of coffee and bitterness. He was using hatred like a muggle car used petrol to keep moving forward. It was the only living light in an otherwise automatic life, the only distinctive proof of his humanity. He owned hatred a lot, and so did the wizarding world. Those were the reasons why he was currently in an uncharacteristic panic. Was he finally reaching his limits, the edges of his previously thought infinite hatred? He had believed it to be bottomless, and his whole carefully constructed identity was crumbling around the discovery that maybe he had been very wrong about that. Was he who he thought he was? Was his intrinsic fear of indifference responsible for him having somewhat lost himself along the way? It was a hard bout of questions assailing him from all fronts and coming from deep inside. And all of that because of a stupid fight about Christmas with Minerva McGonagall, of all things. The spy was used to being crushed between opposite forces. He lived between acute bitterness and intense love, between arrogance and loyalty, between deep burns and freezing hells always helplessly pinned on the walls of excess. McGonagall was asking for Christmas. He hated Christmas with all of his being, always had. It was the hypocrisy of it all that was unbearable to him. Even as a child, he could feel the sharpness of it pierce his heart. However, since he didn't like to lie to himself, he was also acutely aware that all his contempt for the little holiday stemmed from an intense jealousy on his part. Oh, how he envied the happiness, the joy, the memories of happier, simpler times. All the pretty, shiny things decorating the whole mess in the minds of everyone but him. All the meaning that time of year carried around for them all. And the fact that it meant absolutely nothing to him. It was too painful. He knew the exact, nearly trivial, reason why Christmas had always left behind such a sour taste in his mouth. It was and always would be, just another day in his personal calendar. Indifference, his absolute nemesis. Christmas set him apart, again, and he would forever make the harmless holiday pay for adding another pain on his personal mountain of them. He shouldn't feel that guilty about a decision that was not even his, and yet, his two masters were even in agreement for once, both of them instructing him to skip the merry celebration this year, and do without. First, their reasonings were different, but still, how ironic was it that he was choosing this instance to feel conflicted about what he had to do, when everything was easy to reconcile for once? The Dark Lord wanted the students to pay for their little rebellions at the school. Snape could not disagree this time, as it was a pain in his side, too. And Dumbledore, his insufferable painting, that is, was deadly set on protecting his spy's cover at all costs having decided that Christmas was definitely not worth it. He was used to the feeling of being crushed between opposite orders, by opposite sides, rendered as thin as his conscience by the deadly pull of making differences look the same, caught between two deadly fires, two madmen, 
a deadly psychopath, and a genius manipulator. Every day he survived his own personal twisted miracle. His life had been so far the perfect emulsion of deathly oil and nauseating sugar, everything suspended in midair, waiting for the little thing that would destroy the precarious balance. And now he was losing every bit of self-control, losing his footing on the very edge of a precipice. All to save the stupid tinsel and carols and decorated trees, when both his masters were pulling his strings in the same direction for the first time. Something was definitely wrong with him. Why was the idea of being the thief that took Christmas away so unbearable to him? How could this be when he already was the murderer, the traitor, the despicable death eater in their eyes? It was irrational. He loathed the rationality. Everything that didn't follow his carefully sharpened logic, the cold machinery of reason. Worse, he wouldn't allow himself this sudden, uncontrollable analysis of his own emotions. He couldn't even admit to their existence in the first place. It was dangerous. He was a spy robot, after all. A deadly machine. A deadly tool. Something in which his crushed humanity couldn't shake him hard enough to endanger his only purpose. No human that was whole could accomplish what he was set to do. None. It was too terrifying. Too much pressure. Too thankless. Severus Snape had just said no to Christmas at Hogwarts, denying someone he didn't even know he cared about, and he was now watching his armor crack, powerless and terrified, slowly falling apart, all for a stupid day about presents and roast turkey. He agreed to be a traitor in their eyes. He agreed to be a murderer, the most despicable thing. He had accepted the sickening task of ending the life of the only human being who had offered him a second chance, who gave him a new purpose, something to do with his tainted life, a way to redemption, at least in part, with all the meaning he was able to put into it. Not that it made any difference. He was willingly embodying the killer of all hopes, the destroyer of light, the epitome of ingratitude, trading his legacy against a little bit of usefulness in a rightful fight. All of that for her, the only one of his victims he could never forgive himself for, to pay for the cruel absence of the only warm smile that had ever been sent his way, the absence he was unbearably responsible for, but also for a bit more, for what she believed in before he came around and ruined everything, and for Dumbledore too, for the old man and his mad idea that their world was worth saving. And suddenly, in light of all that, he just couldn't kill Christmas that ridiculous holiday that held no meaning for him, that he didn't even like. It was forcing introspection on him at the most dangerous time, and it was going to ruin everything. How could he put the few above the many when it went against everything they were trying to accomplish? Or maybe it was her, his colleague's hatred, her disgust, her scorn against him just a moment before, that was gnawing at him, at the walls of his carefully crafted mind prison. Maybe it was Minerva McGonagall's judgment and condemnation that was destroying him, like a castle that stood fiercely against all sorts of terrible assaults and finally crumbles under an unexpected windy day. Most ridiculous final straw. Minerva McGonagall, who had been able to trust him on the word of a dear friend, who he admired deeply for her loyalty, her bravery, her integrity, especially when he was wearing masks as others breathe, never true to anything entirely. The woman whose friendship he coveted without ever being aware of it, 
the embodiment of the only sense of family he ever had, Hogwarts itself. Her approbation had been like a warm blanket in his otherwise very cold existence. Her contempt was killing him. Contempt from the likes of Potter he could live with. He had grown up with the heavy contempt of a Potter on his shoulders. It was nothing new. But for Minerva, it was unexpectedly painful. It was piercing his defenses with a sharp, poisonous tip. It was a slow, horrible death. He grimaced suddenly, becoming aware of how petty and self-centered he was being right now. Killing Christmas. Taking it away from all the not-so-innocent-anymore children in his charge meant nothing to him. His restlessness was at a much more egotistical level. That was so very him, wasn't it? Nasty and pathetic. That realization seemed to derail the spiral that was trapping him in his own head. He straightened himself back up in his chair, his eyes shining strangely in the obscurity of the circular room. Shaking himself back into clarity, he stared at the dissipating remnants of his nightmare, erasing every emotion again cherishing the blank empty space replacing them that he'd so needed to function. And then, calm once again, he turned the light back on in the entire room, lighting all the candles up at once with a wordless spell. Light over darkness. It was his only usefulness after all. Back to work. He had a report to make now. He was not done playing his loyal Death Eater role. But before that, he should make sure that Longbottom's detention was with Hagrid, not done with his secret hero role either. He fought for a moment against the hard knowledge that he was neither a Death Eater nor hero. He was only the man who stole Christmas. Oh, that was rough. That oh, was really, yes. oh my gosh, that was even from the beginning. Oh my gosh, that was so angsty and oh god yes. wow that was so evil bean that oh, yeah <laughs> that was so evil bean <laughs> also i have to say as someone who has english as a first language this is ridiculous i cannot believe that they wrote all of this with all these words that i never would have even like used as like english as a second language i'm just i'm in awe of that writing in general it's absolutely amazing i agree it really is yeah like thank you for using all these english words i barely knew existed i know i feel i feel like, useless i feel like a potato that i'm just like what have i been doing like I don't, i'm just i don't i don't know Maybe it is because we are just surrounded by people who don't know words. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That, that could well be true. Yeah. There's, yeah. Some, something to that. Wow. That I'm just really glad that you read it and not me. So Yeah. <laughs> Oof. That was, it was my very, body is tight. Oh, yeah. Very well written. And you just felt all of that hurt and self-hatred and and then especially around the holidays it's either a really happy time like it's extra happy or it's extra sad so if you're already not doing well the holiday season is just worse so you like felt that these tags severus snape's life sucks right <laughs> <laughs> oh i didn't see that <laughs> yeah i was like oh my gosh look at that oh man hilarious severus snape does need a hug yeah and a lot of therapy yeah yes definitely that was 
That was a journey. A journey. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. The thing is, you can see it happening that way. Mm-hmm. That it's, you know, he must have been so lonely that year. Yeah. And this just really wraps it up and puts a bow on it. But it just goes to show his entire existence of like as much as like it's never about him. Like he really just is always about doing for other people. So I could I can see why him worrying so much about something affecting Minerva so intensely is because it's like, who cares how I'm feeling? Seeing her feel a certain way, like when it's someone that he cares about or whatever of a very few people. I mean, to see them in pain or hurt just has to be he's just sitting there like, Well, this is literally my life like I have to live with the fact that I make people's lives miserable and that's literally what I, the, the role I have to play and there's nothing I can do about it and that's just so sad yes yeah it is but after Christmas he goes on and mm-hmm. he, he almost dies in May but right and then he doesn't <laughs> and he doesn't yes <laughs> he survives to spend other Christmases The next story is, at least the war is over. So this is called, But at least the war is over, by Viridian Lee, rated T for teen, just as a warning, does tagged as post-traumatic stress disorder. The summary reflects the beginning paragraph, so I won't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Severus Snape hated the annual Hogwarts staff Christmas party. For one, he would have to socialize which was all that needed to be said, really. He would have liked to make excuses not to go, except this year, he was headmaster as Minerva had stepped down after two years in the role, citing the need to transition into retirement as soon as possible. A sentiment that he understood well after his brief stint as headmaster, though he supposed the role was marginally more bearable now that he wasn't a servant of the Dark Lord and there were no longer Death Eaters in the castle. No matter how cold and withered his heart was, no matter how much returning to the role of headmaster had felt like returning to a never-ending war, he could understand the need for holiday celebrations, even if he hadn't felt like there was anything worth celebrating since the war's end, and even if it meant putting up with Slughorn's drunkenness, and Flitwick's drunken tendency to send off exploding charms at everyone within a two-foot radius of the man, and Minerva's drunken tendency... One could get the point. The point was that the entire staff would get massively drunk, and himself was an exception, and he would likely be witnessing to someone taking off too many articles of clothing, and no amount of obliviation would cure him from the trauma. And wasn't he traumatized enough from the war already? But for all his protests, there was a small part of himself that was perhaps looking forward to the party just a little bit, because of one person. Not that he would have admitted this to anyone on pain of torture. Severus was not a man prone to hoping for nice things for himself, but ever since a bushy-haired arithmancy professor's assistant had joined the staff, he had found himself softening. He was slightly worried he was going soft in his old age, but Poppy had reassured him that his health was very good for what he had gone through during the war, and that he was still a relatively young wizard in his prime, which he was reminded of, every morning, after waking up from a pleasant half-remembered dreams of Hermione. Not that all of his dreams were Randy, but it was ridiculous. He was forty now, but his body seemed to have missed the memo. And it was for this reason that he really hoped the annual Christmas party would end in anything but disaster for once, 
because he wanted Hermione to stay. He had nearly quit Hogwarts after his first staff Christmas party, Dark Lords Be Damned, and he shuddered to think what Hermione would think, given that she had even less reason to stay. Severus didn't know what he expected, but the staff room being in flames and freezing at the same time managed to exceed even his grimmest imaginings of chaos, and he had imagined scenarios involving revived Death Eaters. Cold, wet pain bloomed across his face before he could react. His entire body tensed as he wiped the slush from his face, heart racing with wartime reflexes. The perpetrator was giggling madly, enchanting more snowballs from the piles of snow that had built up around the staff room. Of course it was Phileas. No one but Flitwick could have managed to land a hit on Severus, and he briefly wondered at the fairness of having a charms master enchant snowballs for a snowball fight. Severus slowly looked up at the ceiling and found the source of all the snow which was gently falling in the staff room. On his staff. On his staff furniture. On his staff party food. He shuddered to think of the state of the castle wards if Phileas had managed to enchant snow to fall from the staff room, not to mention the fires. Stepping carefully past a large puddle, Severus took a closer look at the fires lit around the staff room and noticed that no one was on fire from walking through the flames, though the snowballs were melting. More of Phileas's work then. He passed one of his hands into the flame, but the smell of burning had him abruptly withdrawing his arm. Somehow the fires were charmed not to burn people, but only people. Before he could react to this, a cloying smell of incense wafted by him, and then he saw that Trelawney had decided to set up a divination stand in a corner, where she was busy snogging the new defense against the dark arts professor. He briefly wondered if the curse on the DADA position was still active, or if they really did have the worst taste in being since Bellatrix Lestrange. A quick look around the room showed that Minerva was in tabby form, battling a bundle of catnip around, answering his question of why this chaos had been allowed to run unchecked. A high-pitched cackle sounded through the room, and suddenly all he could focus on was the fact that Bellatrix Lestrange had somehow come back from the dead and was attacking his staff room. Severus gripped his wand tightly and looked around wildly, but he only found Hooch laughing as she, Hagrid, and Professor Binns played some sort of card game. It had been a long time since he felt so keyed up with battle reflexes. Food would help, he decided. It was difficult to decide what to eat. The elves had decided to go with an international theme for Christmas, with Norwegian rice pudding, Swedish meatballs, and some sort of baked pasta dish that he assumed was from Italy. The food looked good, but that was where the appeal ended. As all of the food had been covered under a thin layer of snow, the smell of wet and cold pasta was not appetizing. Severus decided that perhaps the rice pudding wouldn't be the worst thing to eat cold when he slipped in a puddle of sick and was transported back to the worst of the Death Eater parties, where tea and torture were the main entertainments, and the stench of vomit a smell that he could not forget years later. He gripped the serving table and struggled to get his breathing under control. It had been more than two years since the war had ended, but sometimes it felt as if everything had happened just yesterday. There was a loud crack right beside him, and before he knew it, a wordless protego had sprung up. A small elf looked at him with frightened eyes and drooping ears. W would sir like anything fresh to eat? It asked timidly. No, Severus said through gritted teeth and, and righted himself. 
Some of the staff had stopped what they were doing and were staring at him. The scrutiny was unbearable. No, he said, not sure what he was saying no to. He cast a silent tergio on his shoes, clearing up the vomit from both himself and the floor, and strode out the door of the party as fast as he could, robes billowing behind him. His shot nerves were so distracting, it took a few moments for him to realize he was being followed. What do you want? he snarled, barely managing to restrain himself from hexing the person who decided to go after him. Instant regret filled his guts when he saw who it was. Hermione had followed him, and now she stood stock still, her doe-like eyes wide as she took in the singed edge of his robes and the damp mess of his hair. Are you all right? Hermione asked hesitantly. Severus cursed in his head. A dozen retorts flitted through his head, ranging from what do you think to obviously. But in the end, he settled for honesty. After that show at the staff party, he doubted she would want to be anywhere near him anyway. She was just being kind in her usual Granger manner. No, he said. I, I don't like Christmas parties much either, she whispered, as if there would be any eavesdroppers in the deserted castle hallways. No? he asked after taking in a ragged breath. It's, well, Christmas crackers, you know, she said with a small rueful smile, and a lot of witches laugh like her. She didn't need to specify who her was, as they both had awful memories of Bellatrix. I'm sorry, Severus said on a slow exhale. I knew the party was a bad idea. I should have... It's fine, Hermione interrupted. I think everyone's having a hard time coping, you know. Professor Slughorn had to leave the moment Professor Flitwick started on those snowballs, and Professor Vector left earlier when the fires came out. I think Phileas is trying to deal with it in his own way with too much alcohol and magic. Severus could feel his heart rate slow as they spoke, but he still needed to apologize. Still, I'm sorry you had to witness. The borough was on fire last Christmas, Hermione blurted, cutting him off again. George was having a really difficult time of it, and set his childhood bedroom on fire. I don't think it was a joke, she finished, voice quiet. I also had a hard time at the party, Hermione continued on, as if he was, she was telling him a secret. Perhaps she was. I was waiting just so I could see you, and I'm sorry it turned out so terribly. Severus was struck speechless. He swallowed when Hermione took a few steps closer to him. Look, mistletoe, she said, pointing above his head. He looked over his head and found that a hovering bunch of the white berries was really there. He looked back at Hermione, who was gazing up at him with a soft expression on her face. The look on her face made him feel bold. Not breaking eye contact, he slowly dipped his head and pressed his lips softly against her, arms wrapping around her. The warmth of holding her body against his drained all his earlier tension away and replaced it with a very different sort of tension. She rested her head against his chest when they finally broke the kiss. Her laughter surprised him. What's so funny, he asked, hands resting gently on her hips now. You kissed me first. I didn't plan on this happening like this, she said, smiling. Oh, what did you plan then, he asked, one eyebrow raised. I had planned on asking you to my quarters with an excuse of wanting to give you your gift in private, and then trapping you there with, a, with conversation about one journal article or another, then offering you something to drink, and if I was feeling particularly brave, I would kiss you. Severus let out a laugh. What's stopping you from this plan now? Hermione pouted. The expression was exceedingly fetching. You know what my goals are now. Ah, but you don't know what I have planned for the end of the date, he said, unable to help himself. 
As they walked to her quarters hand in hand, Severus thought that perhaps the staff Christmas party had not been so awful after all, though there would be changes next year. Two and a half years had passed since the war, and it was obvious that it still weighed heavily on everyone, but at least some of his staff felt safe to let loose, even if it had been to an excess, and the only person he wanted to spend Christmas with felt similarly about parties and possibly felt the same way he did about her. He could finally feel it. The war was over, and he had found a new beginning. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So just a, oh, I don't know how you want to say it. After he ran the gauntlet of 17 years of, well, mm -hmm. even longer of horrible life, that he gets a break. Yeah. It's funny because this story was inspired on the, the gif that I'm sure we're all familiar with of, you know, the community walking in on just like fire and crazy, you know, going on when he comes in with pizza and it's just, oh, it's, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So, yeah, it's like in the notes, like inspired by this gif. It's the community guy walks into a flame party with a pizza box just just oh, oh man oh my god <laughs> oh so funny so of course that's what i'm like picturing is yeah it's like severus walking in and just being like what is happening <laughs> minerva in the corner as a cat playing with catnip like who like probably i could see someone having tossed it to her to distract her you know what i mean like just being like oh if you give her give her some catnip and she'll go you know she'll be fine for hours I do appreciate that there was focus on it's not that long after the war and everyone's still dealing with it. So it's holiday time. So some people are going a little too far trying to escape the their issues and then some people can't help it and have to get out of it. But everyone's still dealing with it in their own ways. But there's there's hope and, you know, good things are still possible even if they're all dealing with bad stuff. I always find the mental image of someone stepping, just, you know, getting closer to Severus, like one would get closer to a wild animal, like just one step closer. And Severus always reacting, like his heart beats faster and everything. I find it so cute. <laughs> so is Dan Puff going to read this to us? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I only read the first, I think, three scenes from it. Let me. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many words that turned out to be. I think it was a little around a thousand words or just under. I can't remember if they had breakfast or not at that point. No, they didn't. We didn't they go. Didn't. That it was far. before breakfast. Okay. Yeah, we just stuck to their family stuff. Okay. So I will be reading my story Happy Christmas Potters. It's rated T for teen. To bed, Amaryllis. Do not make me tell you again. Please, Papa, please read story. Harry grinned, pressing his ear to the door as his husband sighed heavily. Blasted child, every bit as demanding as your father. Harry dared peek through the crack. His four-year-old daughter pouted, green eyes wide and pitiful. Severus glowered at her. Yes, your father also thinks that is charming. Harry bit back a snicker. Amaryllis smartly snuggled closer against Severus's side. Please, Papa. Pretty please. Very well, you spoiled child, Severus snapped. Amaryllis smiled up at him sweetly as Severus took the slim book from the bedside table. He opened it up, tilting it so that Amaryllis could see the moving pictures. He didn't need to look at the words to recite the story by heart. Twas the night before Christmas. 
Harry pressed his back to the wall, quietly sipping his eggnog as he listened to Severus speak. Even once the girl was snoring, Severus spoke until the story ended. Harry wisely tiptoed away, placing his empty glass in the kitchen sink as Severus emerged. Was she fussy? Harry asked innocently. You know well enough, brat. Severus glared at him. You are not nearly as sneaky as you like to believe. I am, Harry retorted, offended. I was only stupid enough to marry a spy. <laughs> Harry grinned, stepping forward to slide his arms around Severus's neck. I don't think I'd like a story. Will you sing me to sleep instead? I think not. Okay, if you don't sing, I will. You wouldn't. Harry opened his mouth, racking his brain for a proper carol, when his husband's cold hand slipped across his mouth, silencing him. Severus sighed. Seems like only yesterday we put our Christmas things away. Now here's another Christmas day with you. Harry kissed Severus's palm. The hand fell away, arms slipping around his waist. It was no wonder Harry and Amaryllis had such a fondness for listening to Severus, be it songs or stories. The man had a voice that reached right into your soul. Harry sighed contentedly, letting Severus sway them across the kitchen to the song. He'd never quite got the hang of it, always awkwardly bumping around, but the simple movement in Severus's arms was just fine. Till my days on earth are through, I will spend Christmas to Christmas loving you. Is it only Christmases you love me or... Harry asked cheekily. Severus scowled and pinched his bottom, causing Harry to jump. Hey now, honest question. Presumptuous question, Severus muttered, kissing his nose. Now, bed. Yes, Papa, Harry muttered, running upstairs before Severus could pinch him again. If Severus and Harry made love that night, they were wise enough to clothe themselves before falling asleep. Wise indeed, for it was four in the morning when a small girl slipped into their bedroom and jumped into bed with them. Severus jerked up, sleepily glaring as Amaryllis squeezed between them. Harry only shifted in his sleep, snore subsiding only for a moment. Amaryllis giggled and wiggled beneath the covers. Just like a potter, Severus grumbled, tucking his daughter and husband back in before settling beside them. Boisterous, lack of respect, flailing about. You're not like that, Papa, Amaryllis said around a yawn. She snuggled into Harry's back. Severus carefully settled against her, wrapping an arm around them both. I'm not a potter, Severus replied. Might as well be, Harry mumbled. Mm-hmm, Amaryllis agreed. Hmph, Severus said as the pair began snoring in unison. Propped up on his elbow, Severus looked down at them both. Same messy hair, same emerald eyes, same shapely mouth. Poor child had inherited his unfortunate nose, but also his high cheekbones and long fingers. Severus pressed a kiss to her soft cheek, then to Harry's jaw. Happy Christmas, Potters. By six in the morning, Severus rudely woke husband and daughter by jingling the bells the two insisted on decorating their entire house with. The two yelped. Harry rolled, rolled right out onto the floor while Amaryllis scrambled out from beneath the blankets. Severus, you great prick, Harry snapped, rubbing his sleepy eyes. Presents, Amaryllis exclaimed, already wide awake. You had that last night, my love, 
Severus said as he helped Harry to his feet. Harry laughed and slapped his chest. That was your present, Harry retorted. Presents, Amaryllis repeated, jumping out of bed and running into the living room. Severus followed on her heels while Harry shuffled behind, yawning widely. Amaryllis danced eagerly before the tree, examining the presents as her parents settled themselves on the settee. Harry tucked himself into Severus's side, nursing a mug of coffee Severus had prepared before waking them. It was a large red mug with the words cup of cheer, flashing gold and silver, a gift from Remus a few years back. Now, Amaryllis asked eagerly, give your dad a few moments, Severus replied. It amused him not only to test her patience, but to hold his grumpy husband as he sipped his coffee and muttered unintelligibly. Yeah, yeah, go on, Harry finally said. Polite child that she was, Amaryllis passed a gift to each father before eager eagerly tearing into one of hers. Severus and Harry held onto their own, watching as their daughter gleefully exclaimed over her new arts and crafts set, her new red and green Christmas dress, and finally sobbing as she hugged her new fluffy white kitten. Did we agree on a real measle? Severus asked through gritted teeth. Harry grinned mischievously at him. Oops, well, little late to return her now. I'm calling her Snowbell. Amaryllis announced, laughing and sobbing as she nuzzled the unhappy kitten. You little irritant, Severus hissed. Hush, you sweet talker, Harry said. Open yours. And that's where I stopped it. Oh, yeah, very nice. That was so fluffy. <laughs> I don't do that often. I don't, right? Right? <laughs> oh, oh, and I would mention to everybody that this story continues on, including dinner at the borough. So um, follow Cute. the links to read the whole story. Lots of family goodness in that one. Oh, and that daughter was just adorable. Mm -hmm. I love her. <laughs> it's great because as you know, she has like all the spunk and positivity of Harry. And then it's Snape's just knows how much like him she is and but still as annoyed as he gets with both of them he loves them with everything and it's just oh it's just so cute it makes my heart happy <laughs> i know like he's like oh you annoy me but i would still do anything for you <laughs> <laughs> got me twisted around li two little fingers like, right. yeah he's all twisted and tied up by the two of them Yep, very cute. Excited to read the rest of it. Absolutely. Christmas is compulsory. Oh, yes. And she made us a lovely recording in her lovely English accent. <laughs> mm hmm Sure, it's gorgeous. Something to enjoy. Christmas is compulsory with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By Mersheeple. Rated T for teen. He didn't make it to the First Order Christmas party. Being in a magically induced coma after having been attacked by an enormous, venomous, magically enhanced worm and his pet snake would do that to a person. Severus finally awoke from the coma on the 9th of January 1999. Another year older, another year wiser and a whole lot healthier than he had been. For starters, he was alive. Secondly, he had gained weight and, with the help of various potions he was sure, he had less aches and pains than he had had since entering into servitude with the immortal Dove Lord, an anagram Severus had found that still made him laugh, and a bulbous meddler, here he snickered to himself. And thirdly, his head did not hurt like it had when he had spent all his time occluding. He felt lighter, happier, freer, 
he assumed it would not last long. He was visited by multiple order members in that first week. The first, of course, had been the boy who lived. Severus had stared at him as he calmly handed over a small package, waving his hand and smiling slightly. The package contained the vial of his memories, a silky soft green scarf and an order of Merlin first class. There was also a small card, signed by Kingsley Shacklebolt, acting minister for magic, which stated that he had been acquitted in absentia all crimes pertaining to the war, including, but not exclusive to, the death of Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. He was free. He had nowhere to go, not really. His house, for it was never a home, in Spinner's End, had been destroyed after the war. While Harry Potter had managed to get him acquitted without the full story of his memories being released, he was still hated and vilified by both sides of the war. Someone, he felt personally it was more likely to be a Death Eater, had cast Fiendfire from inside his house. The only thing he mourned was his library. His books had been works of art. Now he only had his smaller library, the one he kept at Hogwarts. He refused to return there. He was offered, strangely, a place to stay that was entirely unexpected. Miss Hermione Granger had a spare room in her parents' house. It was actually their bedroom, so it was the largest of the three. She lived in the second bedroom in the house. They rarely saw each other, although occasionally she would make breakfast for them both. Something cooked. Occasionally something sweet like pancakes or waffles, but more often than not, bacon sandwiches. He wasn't entirely sure how she knew his favourite food, but he was definitely not complaining. It was a peaceful life. Until she started to nag him about Christmas, and specifically the Order Christmas Party. Why she started in September, he wasn't sure. She could have started in February, when he had first come to her home, and he would still have said no. She tried to hold out the bacon sandwiches. He still said no, and made his own. She tried to beg and wheedle and plead with him, but he still said no. By the first week in December, he had said no at least a hundred times, and she had given up asking. Or so he thought. The party was to be held on Christmas Eve, and she tried once more, on the night. He said no, and she muttered something about sending Minerva. He didn't believe that she would, and so he let her go off to the burrow without saying a word. Curling himself up in one of the chairs in the lounge with a book that he had found in the third bedroom, a room she had converted into a rather sweet little library, filled almost entirely with books from the wizarding world. He was comfortably calm, reading through Fantastic Flora, when he heard the flu activate. His first thought was that Miss Granger was back early from the party, until a hand reached out and struck him across the back of his head. He stood, wand out, staring at the indignant Scottish woman standing by the fireplace and scowled. Oh, wipe that look off your face, boy. It's Christmas Eve, and I'll be damned if I will let you sit here sulking instead of joining us for Christmas. You had an excuse last year, but there isn't any you could give me this year that will stop me from dragging you through that flue to the burrow. Christmas is not voluntary, Severus Snape. Christmas is compulsory. She crossed her arms over her chest and pursed her lips, raising an eyebrow at him in a perfect mirror of his own. He felt himself droop under the weight of her disapproving look and nodded slowly. Yes, ma'am. He walked towards her and offered her his elbow. She smiled softly and tugged him into the flue with her, calling out for the burrow before he had a chance to speak and direct them somewhere else. He growled beside her as he felt himself squeezed through the flue network. He stumbled out of the flue at the burrow and stopped just outside of the hearth, refusing to head towards a noisier part of the house. He heard an obnoxious shriek and turned to find his host embracing Minerva and muttering quietly as she thrust a bundle of wool at Minerva. Minerva laughed softly and the two witches wandered away, leaving Severus standing alone and quiet. He was tempted to eavesdrop. You know we do this, Minnie. 
What were you thinking inviting an extra? I know I told you the numbers were wrong after Penelope left poor Percy, but... Well, he isn't going to play nice, is he? I mean, he isn't going to match with everyone, and I can't change the colour. I don't have any black wool anyway. I don't use black. What am I going to do? Molly wailed and he rolled his eyes. He heard Minerva giggling, a few muttered spells, and then a snort from Molly. There was some more muttering, and then Minerva and Molly walked back to him, with Molly holding a bundle of wool in her arms. His brow furrowed as he noticed that Minerva was now wearing a green knitted jumper with a gold M emblazoned on it. The neck and cuffs were red, as if the jumper were not Christmassy enough in the first place. The bundle in Molly's arms was powder blue, with threads of white and silver, and Severus frowned as Molly thrust it towards him. Just put it on, Severus. It's, it's tradition. He held onto the bundle and held it up. He didn't have time to say anything, as Minerva spelled it onto his body. It was too long in the body and too short in the arms. It was powder blue, with a silver trim to the cuffs and neck, and in the middle in white and silver, was... Molly, this is a P. He trailed off, looking confused, but not wanting to offend the woman in question. The wool was soft and warm, and had obviously been made with love. It was entirely the wrong colour for him, but somehow he liked it. Of course it's a P. The children call you Professor, don't they? Molly's face tinged red as the obvious lie passed her lips, and he hid a smirk. He stepped forward and wrapped his arms around Molly, the first time he had ever initiated a hug with the woman, with any woman if he was honest. He pulled away and bowed slightly to her, indicating to the blushing woman that she should precede him into the room where the party continued on. He entered last and, as expected, the silence was deafening. He said nothing, walking to the groaning table and picking up a glass of mulled wine. He turned back to the group and raised an eyebrow. George Weasley raised his glass and nodded at him, and Severus offered a half-smile back. To the professor, the toast started in one corner of the room, from a young man who looked and sounded like Neville Longbottom, but surely could not be, not with the confident way he spoke. The professor. The toast was responded to, and Severus felt a blush tinge his cheeks as he was welcomed into the group. Perhaps the order Christmas party wouldn't be so bad after all, especially if he was to receive a jumper every year, knitted with love and care by Molly Weasley. He didn't even mind that it was blue. I just love the picture of of Snape with this like sweater dress you know what I mean like it's it's like it's too long for him and then the arms are like three quarter length or whatever and oh my gosh that's just it's gotta be so freaking cute oh him in powder blue I know it's a pea (laughs) (laughs) oh wow the children call you professor don't they (laughs) right I'm just picturing Percy in the corner blushing. You know what I mean? Like staring down at his mold maid like, oh my god, this is mortifying knowing it's his like ex-girlfriend sweater on set. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, that's so good. Cause he'll be matching. He's cause she said she made a matching, right? <laughs> Is this a oh Percy my god. Snape story? <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I mean, obviously. Endgame Percy Severus. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's like Stag and Doe, isn't it? Yeah. Oh dear. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm here for it. Whatever. Snursy. Yeah. <laughs> <Nursy. Yeah. laughs> 
another great story yeah and that was like that was a fun one i'm glad that we were able to like get some of the like angsty stuff in the middle like have an angsty sandwich and we were able to start and kind of end with some feel-good stuff so yeah that was so yeah around the angst (laughs) yes yes it was very fun and we had some humor and all that i mean this is a fun time lots of different sides of of snape like obviously getting some snarians to myony but then also like just severus centric stories which is also fun too so it's a great future snursy yeah future (laughs) snursy I don't, uh, don't know that that's to, the intent, but... <laughs> I know, I'm going to have to talk to Rashipo and be like, would you be weirded out if I wrote an inspired work that was, like, during the party when, you know, Snape and Percy just not making eye contact the whole time? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. That was, that was fantastic. But either way, him being welcome there. Mm-hmm. And just people caring and... Mm-hmm. Taking care of him. But Snape saying no for for months and <laughs> I know Nerva just has to hit Maron dead and show up. Stubborn. <laughs> and of course her of course Hermione's starting in September. Are you going to the party, Severus? Are you going to the party, Severus? Like Well she knew. Planning. <laughs> yeah. She knew. Oh man. And she's so a funny. Ago, so she was already planning ahead of Yes, <laughs> yes. We, we do that. <laughs> Oh, so funny. Now we have some art by our lovely Leo, also known as Will We Die Just a Little, has made some lovely art, and we're going to talk about it now. Yay! The first, there's three versions of this, shows our lovely Snape mm-hmm. reading with a, looks like a cup of hot cocoa. The mug says, World's best potions master. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Yeah. It is. I love his face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some greenery in the background. I do yeah. love Merlin. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah, just the, the softest around the edges. It's like looking through the frosted window. Do, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Oh, sure. So in my head, he got the cup from Dumbledore. Absolutely. Either from Dumbledore or, for, or from Minerva as a present. And of course, he said he he does not like it. He detests it. But in secret, he loves the mug. He absolutely loves it. And I don't think Severus would be the person to decorate his own home for Christmas. But I just thought maybe Dumbledore sneaked in a house elf or any, or something like that before Snape could come home or maybe into his quarters because... This could also be in his quarters at Hogwarts. Yeah, and he's just enjoying some quiet time, maybe around uh, in front of a fire while it snows outside. That's why I frosted the edges of the picture. And I made <laughs> and I made sure to include a lot of books in the, in the background. Of course. Because mm-hmm. he's all about books, yes. Yeah, and a man after my own heart. Yes, same. <laughs> and you made three different versions of this. Ah, uh, yes, I can never decide when to stop on a picture so so i made one that has a bit colder tone one with warmer ones and also a lineless version because in the end when i was finished i always hide my line art layer to check how clean i actually colored everything and it didn't look that bad so i decided to just 
include another version. The mug is really great. I mean, the whole thing, I just, yeah. I did not have as much time as I would have liked to, to draw it. I was mainly drawing it in secret at work, which oh. <laughs> I, I got on your phone, uh, on my tablet. Yes. And one colleague actually kind of found me out drawing while I was working. <laughs> The good thing is uh, she's she's also a Snape fan. So I had someone that I always had to show my drawing progress with to make sure I actually finished in time. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. And yeah, but sadly, I did not finish in time for the second piece, but I should have it by, by the 18th, I hope. Well, it looks like you have it done enough that we could talk about it a bit. I see you made a little animatic of it. Is that what that's called or a GIF? Yeah, it's just a simple animation because for more complex pieces or for artwork where I have several pictures to draw, I like to make like a little storyboard to make sure the atmosphere is right in all of them. And in this one, I wanted to show Severus as he's grown seeing um, the Christmas tree at Hogwarts and thinking back to his first time seeing it as a student because I imagine it must be completely a new experience for him and very impressive with all the lights and sparkles. Also I wanted to draw a cute little kid Severus. <laughs> yes. Him. A little missing tooth. <laughs> so cute just a great look of awe on his face mm -hmm. wow and then also the, the to say the green one i don't know if that's the right way to put it but the one that looks like his adult self is a silhouette is that right or yes uh, so far i'm thinking about mainly focusing on the tree in front and having it be really bright and beautiful. Uh, I know the tree doesn't look like much right now, but I'm going to work on it. And imagination. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Severus in front of it just being a complete contrast to the brightness, just to maybe show a bit about his current state in that picture. Because by then he's already, he has come back to Hogwarts a completely changed person from his student days he's already had his first contact with the dark side oh god now i sound like star wars um <laughs> <laughs> the dark side yes um but you know what i mean you know and he's changed for that and in the picture in the headshot of his young self i want to make the colors more bright and forgiving to show how innocent he still is was that in his early teaching days ah uh, yes i imagine so so he's a little more jaded yes <laughs> a little bit more jaded he it's it's right after he started spying for dumbledore it's uh, the first part of the war with voldemort and very dark days and he did not expect to i don't think he did expect to see this huge very beautiful tree in front of him and immediately be brought back to that feeling when he was young and that memory that's powerful i like that i'm i'm talking way more about this than i thought i would because i did not actually <laughs> think, think this through that much but no it sounds great okay i'm glad you like it yes definitely we'll have it on our show notes the uh, pictures they are all really beautiful yes and let's see okay 
the last thing I was thinking about was what each of us would give Snape for Christmas if we could. Oh, <laughs> a hug because he needs one. Yes, yes, yes. absolutely. Group hug, yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, you know, small gestures uh, would like more meaningful stuff, I guess. So I don't know that he would like a hug, but something like that where it's like, yeah, we care. So even if it's just something like fixing him some hot chocolate or just bringing him like a treat, something he can just enjoy, like an, an experience, like something sensory, like playing music or just something that he can enjoy to be like, yes, life is good. Life is delicious fruit cake and mold wine and Christmas music and pretty lights and snow. I think something that's more like of an experience and just being shown care more than like a specific object for me would, especially just him having lacked so much care in his life and has been through so much bad stuff. I guess just showing him what the holidays can be would be what I would want for him. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like he'd be someone easily to dismiss some, you know, to dismiss gifts or dismiss things like just like, especially like when it's an opportunity for him to be vulnerable, even if he was touched by a behavior, his immediately like defense you know, mechanism would come up and probably, I mean, even in some of the fix when he's like, instantly, I want to like, have my guard up and snap back and like, even just like thinking about how to respond and that and yeah, it would definitely be something I feel like he would need his space to be vulnerable. So it would be something to like, leave in his office or like, you know, like do do something that him just discovering on his own to be like moved by and and process on his own versus like you giving you know in a scenario harry would totally walk up and like give him something and then he'd just be super uncomfortable or whatever versus like i feel like maybe a hermione thing which she would like leave a gift a a really thoughtful gift and he would so i just i think he's the type of person that it's like you want to get him something but give it to him to deal with on his own level just because he doesn't deal well with kindness right (laughs) Yeah. Being low key about it. That actually reminds me, I read a fic this morning called In the Giving by, I don't know how to say this name. Oh, the shop is local. Um, and it's Harry giving Snape gifts. I think the first one's for Christmas and then one for his birthday and then something for Valentine's Day. And (laughs) his reaction is like, what is this? What is this for? And Harry's like, it's a present. Like, have you never gotten presents before? <laughs> probably only ever from his colleagues or possibly the Malfoys. He probably got expensive things that he didn't know what to do with. Yeah, and this one, it was like, Harry says, it's a gift. And says, Snape grimaces, I noticed why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I noticed why. why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's how it would go with him. Like, mm-hmm. he's just going to be immediately on guard and like, what, 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 what do you intend by this? <laughs> yeah, do gifts come with price tags? I guess that's not the right way to say it with the expectation of something in return. Right, for something in return. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah something yeah so maybe anonymous things would be good yeah yeah just leave him some like gingerbread on his vest or something Mm -hmm. and it can't be wrapped because that man's not going to trust opening any sort of box from anybody (laughs) (laughs) no matter how prettily wrapped yeah be like reducto (laughs) 
funny for someone who knew him to like leave instruct like say they left something that was like a baked good and like instructions for testing for poison like like I already know you got to do it do what you got to do it's safe (laughs) so many amazing works (laughs) (laughs) yes they're so lucky to have so many talented people Mm -hmm. I'm so lucky to have talented people here on the crew oh we appreciate you too yeah Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Well, without you, none of this would happen. So thanks. And everyone listening needs to check out check out the Snoladays, you know, and Snape celebration on AO3 and Tumblr and all that because there's a lot of new content coming in, which is really exciting. So it's a fun new annual thing that's gonna be great. Snoladays.tumblr.com, I believe, is the link. But we'll have that up on uh, on our show notes. We'll have an actual page for this episode nine. I guess we'll call it extras. So there'll be all sorts of goodness. All right. Well, happy holidays, everybody. Happy <laughs> hey, happy holidays. And hopefully next year, maybe we'll have a Hanukkah fix. I'd love something like that. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that would mm-hmm. be fun. Yep. Yeah. Some like all alternative tradition stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I know people at Canon is Jewish, so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. does work. Uh-huh. I think that would be fun. Yeah. I, I think maybe for the holidays that some people are doing some things. So so that might be something we can do for next year. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And also happy new year to everyone. Mm-hmm. That sounds like that's a show. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you everyone for joining me. Will we die just a little? I had a great time. Thank you. Sure. And Dan Puff. Hi, everyone. (laughs) And Megs. Yep. This was so much fun. It always is. This is centric (laughs) and goodbye. Till next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye bye. (laughs) Bye.